I don't know. You guys can decide. The best thing Tom had to say about me was my, was my satchel. I don't know. You guys can decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's good to be here. Uh, good to be with you guys. I am um, a visiting pastor, as Tom shared. But is it okay if I tell you that I love you? I love this church. As Tom said, I, I got saved in this church. Uh, there's a long story, but I, I moved into the freshman dorms at the University of North Dakota, and these two uh, junior students, one of them is Pastor Pat, was living in a freshman dorm to reach out to freshmen, and I moved in next door. For a year, uh, Pat and his wife Andrea and other dear saints prayed for Peter to come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, my eternity is secure because of the faithful gospel witness of this church. And, and, and I met my wife because of this church. I proposed to my wife right, right there. We, we got married right here. Right? We were the second couple married after the church moved to this building, in this building. Um, but I'll tell you, all of that is just good history and, and sentimental value, but that's not why I love this church most. Do you know why I love this church most? It's because of what Tom was sharing. There's a, a church in Warren, Minnesota because of the gospel witness of this church. There's a church in Fargo, North Dakota because of the faithful gospel witness of this church. There are servants and a pastor down in the Twin Cities serving because of the faithful gospel witness of this church. And there is a church in La Crosse, Wisconsin that is being served by a man because of the faithful gospel witness of this church. The gospel is rippling out to Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, Grand Forks, Warren, Fargo, the cities, La Crosse, because of the gospel witness of this church. I love this church. And so Tom said, it was not easy for me to come here today. I was apologizing to Pastor Pat at one point saying, I know that I was probably the most difficult one for you to coordinate. And he just looked at me really lovingly and said, yeah, you were. Uh, <laughs> but it is such an honor to be back and sharing with you. Um, so I, I, I'm, I am glad and thankful to be here. Let me, uh, let me pray and we will just ask God to come and te uh, touch our hearts this morning um, and because he is worthy of our time and attention. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, man, we just thank you, God. The, the love that you show us by sending your son, we, we deserve death and death on a cross, but instead you sent your son. I am in such awe of your love for us, Lord. Would the truth of who you are sink deep into our souls this morning, and may we be forever changed as we understand your love for us. I pray again, Lord, you just move me out of the way, and would you speak, would you share your truth in your word, and may you draw us to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a, a little kid, I don't know, it was like 10 or something like that, this huge storm came through our town. It was like a tornado with thunder and lightning. And 
Uh, I remember we all like huddled in our, in our basement waiting for the storm to pass. And as a little kid, it was a little bit frightening, right? And when the storm got over, I mean, it, was, it devastated the community. Trees are down and all kinds of stuff. So what do you do? Well, you, you go on a bike ride to gawk at all of the devastation, right? So that's what we did. And there's this park not too far from my house, about four blocks. And we went there, and there was this huge tree that had a lightning strike to the middle of it, and it had split and fallen. And my, I've got a twin brother, and he and I are like, this is incredible. So we stopped, and we're climbing around on this tree, and one of us dropped a big piece of wood, and it made the loudest, like echoed off the building. And from the middle of the tree came this swarm of bees. And it seemed like somebody had turned on a faucet of bees and they just came, and they just engulfed us. And my brother and I ran for like two blocks with these bees stinging us and biting us. And, and they were so swarming, it almost felt difficult to breathe. And it was so traumatic. That was the day that I learned I have an allergy to bee venom. Yeah, it's, I survived. It's okay. It had a good ending. But to me, I look back on that and I think this is a good illustration of when life feels overwhelming. It can feel like this pack of bees just engulf us and it's hard to breathe and you can't escape. I had a friend who was engaged to his wife and he was excited and they were they were making plans to get married and plans for life and shortly before they got married through no fault of his own he lost his job and I remember thinking man what a that's a tough that's a tough road to to walk and so they picked themselves up and he, he gets another job and then they are expecting I think it was their first child and through no fault of his own he lost his job and so here he is, uh, newly married with a kid on the way, and he's lost yet another job. Now listen, you, you may not have been swarmed by a pack of bees. You may not have lost your job at critical times like that, but don't we all relate with seasons when it feels like everything is falling apart all at once when our health fails or relationships are falling apart or someone who's dearly loved passes away we all relate to life feeling suffocating Psalm 42 says deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your billows have swept over me deep calls to deep and it has this sense of trials and difficulties tend to call each other and like wave after wave we just get pummeled and we're left to ask how do I praise God when I'm overwhelmed and swarmed by life? 
How do I praise God when I'm overwhelmed and swarmed by life? Now the good news is we are not the only ones who have to struggle with and deal with this question. And we're also not left without an answer. I think God must have known this would be an issue because this great psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 118, seems to address this very thing. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 118. We'll have the verses we're looking at on the psalm as well. This psalm is part of what they call the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. And Hallel is the root word for hallelujah, which means praise ye the Lord. So uh, this is one of three sections in the Bible that they call the Hallel Psalms. There's Psalms 113 through 118, which are the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. It's the Israelites looking back on God's hand as they were enslaved in Egypt and how he uh, accomplished his redemptive work of pulling them out of Egypt. Psalm 120 through 135, they call that the great Hallel. And then Psalm 146 through 150, the concluding Hallel. And that concludes the, the great book of Psalms. So Psalm 118 is the concluding Psalm of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. And the reason that's important is because this psalm, as they would celebrate the Passover, which is the celebration that God passed over the nation of Israel, uh, bringing them out of the nation of Israel while they were enslaved, they would sing, they would weave the singing of this group of psalms through their celebration of God. As they looked back at the trial and the difficulty and the suffering of being enslaved in Egypt, and yet remembering the grace and the love, the sovereignty of God's hand to bring them out. So, as, you, as we turn to Psalm 118, we'll see that the, the first verse in Psalm 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. Now, you may know that this is actually a quote from the book of Ezra. The first and the last verse in Psalm 118 is a quote from the book of Ezra. So we're going to turn quickly to Ezra and just look at the context uh, so we understand this psalm. So the book of Ezra is, is the account. Ezra and Nehemiah is at one point one book, but we've broken it into two. It is the account of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Rebuilding this connection point between heaven and earth where the very presence of God would be. The uh, Israel had been conquered. Uh, God raised up King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon and he conquers Israel and he destroys Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel but it wasn't it wasn't just the capital city. It was also the centerpiece of their, of their worship to God. It was where the temple, where the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God would be. And so Jerusalem is destroyed. The, the walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. This special place, it is left in, in heaps and ruins. You can imagine being an Israelite saying, where is our God? Why would, we, why would he let this place where we would go 
and connect with him, why would he let that be destroyed? The Israelites are, are exiled and they would call this the dispersion. They were, uh, they were traipsed all over, scattered around the world, isolated and alone, away from their countrymen. This was a defining moment in Israel's history. I bet the Israelites felt like life was swarming them at that point. I bet if you asked them, they said deep had called to deep. And they were left utterly devastated. But then God in his sovereignty brought the Persians to conquer the Babylonians. And King Cyrus told the Jews, you may go back to Jerusalem. You may rebuild your temple And they started the sacred task of rebuilding the temple. Again, the meeting place between God and humans. And this is what it says in... Is this working? Is there a... Yeah, good. There we go. Sorry. Ezra 3.10 and 11 says this. When the builders laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph holding cymbals. They took their positions to praise the Lord as King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Again, these words mentioned in Ezra are the first and the last quoted in this psalm that we're looking at today. When the Israelites recognized that the, that the, that the temple had been rebuilt, that God, God, had not, God had not abandoned them, God was still there, God was still moving in their midst, even though they didn't see it. God was still keeping his promises with his people. God was still moving and working to draw them to him. They recognized that despite life swarming, God loves them and is faithful. It is describing God's unequaled love. You may ask, how is God's love unequaled, what the Israelites saw is that it's faithful and trustworthy through the generations. God's love is faithful and trustworthy through the generations. Now, it it tells us to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Why do we give thanks in dark seasons? For he is good. How did they experience God is good? As the people were rebuilding the temple, they were reminded of God's faithfulness. They had been through dark seasons and it it may have looked as if God had abandoned them, but when God's hand is seen in rebuilding the temple, it reminded the people of God's faithfulness through the generations. 
Despite the exile, right? They had been exiled because they had turned so frequently and so far from God that he removed his hand of protection to allow Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come and destroy them. They were exiled because of their sin and their rebellion. Despite all of that, despite their sinfulness and that they deserve nothing but to be destroyed, God was still faithful to his people. God keeps his covenants. And the temple being rebuilt just reminded the people of God's faithfulness through the generations that he is a covenant-keeping God despite our wretchedness and sinfulness, no matter how it may look today. God is faithful and trustworthy. I think what the psalmist is inviting the Israelites to do is to look at the darkest seasons of their history. When the nation is destroyed, when the temple, the very presence of God is left in rubble, and to look back on those dark seasons and to be reminded God is still working. Although the nation is destroyed, although the temple is destroyed, God has not forgotten his people. He is moving and working. The people would be allowed to return. The temple would be rebuilt. God would redeem his people, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. For those of us who are sitting here today hurting, who may be like the Israelites in exile thinking, where is God in this trial? The psalmist is reminding us today that our God is a covenant-keeping God. Your God has not forgotten you. Your God is faithful. Even though we may not see it right now. Now, why is God's love unequaled? Because of inexpressible love. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love. I've done something. I've broken it. Can you go to slide seven for me? Thank you, brother. Now, this word that we translate faithful love is just a fascinating word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It is, again, is one of the most fascinating and challenging words in all of the Bible. It has a meaning that is the depth of it isn't something we can really capture in English. Others have talked about this word having, uh, having gravity, right? It pulls other words to help describe the depth of it. It's referred to as, as faithful love, loving kindness. All of these words are drawn to this word said to help us understand the depth of of what it means. There's a, an author named Michael Card who, who wrote a book called Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. And the point of this book is just to try to understand this one word, Hesed, and how 
it weaves through all of Scripture in incredibly powerful ways. And, and Mr. Card, he, he tries to define it, and he says, but there's really no good way. The depth of it is really beyond the English language. But he said, here's the best, here's the best I have. Uh, can you go to the next one, brother? Thank you, Aaron. Um, it says, when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Hear that? When the, when the person I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's the word said. So why is God's love unequaled? Well, because of said. Because the, the God of the universe who created the heavens and earth, the all-powerful creator God who I have a right to expect nothing He gave me everything. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. How long can we expect this incredible chesed? Forever. So you see what the the foundation to this great psalm that they have they have said, right? He is good. Do not forget that he is a covenant-keeping God and he is faithful and he is, he is working to draw us to him even in those dark seasons when we may not see it. His faithful love, he gives us everything regardless, despite we deserve death and death on a cross. And his love endures forever. When I started dating my wife, I had this really hard, like, listen, my wife has been out of my league my entire life. Like, you look up, marrying up, you see a picture of me, and I've got a huge smile on my face, right? Like, I did it. When we started dating, it was hard on me. I'm like, I don't, I just cannot grasp that that this woman would really like me. And one time, a little bit irritated, my wife looks, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, and she looked at me and she said, Peter, I really do like you. Knock it off. And I remember, I remember like I was just on cloud nine. I was walking around like, how is this possible that this woman would think that I'm worth spending any time with? And I was just like in this daze. That's the picture the psalmist is trying for us to get, right? When you find out the, the, you, you, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, your eventual wife or husband, when you find out that, that the person that you think the highest of loves you back and you did nothing to deserve it. This is what the psalmist is celebrating, that the covenant-keeping God, faithful even when we are faithful, who loves like no one else, gives us everything, though we have, we have no right to expect anything when that God loves us forever. Is it no wonder they called this a Hallel psalm where you should erupt in praise, praise ye the Lord. It's a psalm that evokes praise to God. I think what the psalmist is showing is a part of how we praise God 
when we're overwhelmed and we feel swarmed by life is to give thanks, not because of our circumstances, but because of who God is. Because God's love is trustworthy and forever. When we, when we see God answer prayers like the Israel saw when they're rebuilding the temple in Ezra, we should, we should erupt in, in hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. When dark clouds roll in and we deal with unimaginable loss, we should praise the Lord because he is faithful and work in his plan of redemption. When prices at the gas station or the grocery store skyrocket and we weren't sure how we were going to make it financially before, our job isn't what we dreamed it would be. You can't quit because that's how you support your family. It's in these dark seasons when the clouds roll in. We can give thanks and praise to God because of his unequaled said. Amen. Now how do we do that? If we look at verse 2, he says this, let all Israel say his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his faithful love endures forever. Now there's a lot that we could, that we could take out of those quick, that quick verse. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, but this is I, what I don't want us to miss is this. God's command for every group to vocalize praise to him, right? Let, let Israel say, let the whole people say, let Aaron say, let the priests say, let all of those who fear the Lord say, let us all say his faithful love endures forever. <laughs> Excuse me. When we're faced with the inevitable trials of life, quickly on our mouth should be his faithful love endures forever. We'll jump ahead in the psalm to verse uh, 10. And we see the psalmist sharing about some of the dark seasons of life. But You'll notice he doesn't, he doesn't want us to, to focus on the specific struggles. But the psalmist is painting the picture of God's ample love. Oh, can you go back one to slide 10, I think. Eh, beautiful. I apologize that my clicker isn't working. I don't know what I did. Um, so the psalmist is painting this picture of God's ample love. And this is what he says in verses 10 through 12. He says, All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. Three times the psalmist says, they surrounded me. All the nations surrounded me. They, they surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. They surrounded me like bees. Three times. Three times we're told 
that the psalmist was surrounded. The specifics of the trial aren't shared. What we're supposed to see is the frequency. What we're supposed to feel is the barrage that the psalmist was under over and over and over. Deep calls to deep. We've been invited into the overwhelming nature of being surrounded over and over and over. In fact, the final time the psalmist describes the trial like being surrounded, swarmed by bees. So thick. You ever been surrounded by insects? It's so thick you can barely breathe and you can't escape. When life feels overwhelming, when trials are so challenging, it knocks the breath out of us. When we feel so much pressure and we don't see a way out. And yet each time the psalm describes being surrounded, it also says, in the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. The name of the Lord is sufficiently powerful to destroy. Can you go to the, here we go. See where he says, in the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. The psalmist has just painted this masterpiece, drawing us in. And what he's saying is, regardless of how great the trouble is, the name of the Lord is sufficiently powerful. Regardless of how overwhelming, how frequent, how nasty the barrage is, the name of the Lord is sufficiently powerful. Amen? The psalmist is inviting us to rest in God. Trusting the power of God, regardless of the frequency or the severity of whatever it is we're facing. Part of how we praise God when we're overwhelmed and feel swarmed by life is resting in the grace of God. When we feel swarmed, when trials snowball, when deep calls to deep, it's in those moments that we need to remember The name of the Lord has ample power. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he was swarmed by the religious leaders of the day and arrested. He was swarmed by the guards who beat him without mercy. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked defeated He looked surrounded. But it was in this moment when the sins of the world were on the Son of God's shoulders as he was dying on the cross. It was in this moment when Jesus Jesus rose from the grave three days later showing the power to forgive sins once And for all, it was in this moment when the clouds were darkest, when the swarm was thickest, it was in this moment that God's power was most clearly displayed. 
When the redemption of the world, when this plan that we see first talked about in Genesis 3.15, when this plan that was talked about throughout Scripture, it was this was the climax. When, the, when it looked the darkest, when it looked most hopeless, it was here that God's power was seen most clearly. Three times the psalmist says he was surrounded but it doesn't matter how many times the psalmist was surrounded. No matter how many times they are surrounded, the power of God will follow. And the power of God overwhelms the trials. We may not see it this side of heaven. We may not. But when eternity comes... And we're not responsible to pay the debt for our sins because Jesus already has. In eternity, we will stand there and say, I have destroyed whatever trials came at me through the name of the Lord. Now, how do we do this? Pay close attention to this section of the psalm. Look at what it says. Three times it says they surrounded. Three times it says in the name of the Lord. Part of what the psalmist is doing is he's looking back at the trials in life, but also God's history of faithfulness. He's remembering that countless times God has proven himself to be faithful and powerful. Oh, you guys, we, we need to do the same thing. We must remind ourselves regularly of the times God has revealed his power to us. Both in our lives and in the lives of those we love. We must be looking back and remembering God's faithfulness throughout our lives. If we skip ahead to the end of the psalm in verse 22, we'll see the psalmist showing us Jesus fulfills God's redemptive plan. Jesus fulfills God's redemptive plan somewhat unexpectedly. Can you go to uh, slide 14 for me? Now, here's a question. I don't know if you guys have ever asked this. Why was Jesus rejected if he was the son of God? If God himself came and walked the earth, how in the world did his creation reject him? And I think what we see is sometimes God is revealed most clearly in really unexpected ways. God is revealed most clearly in really unexpected ways. Psalm 18.22 says this, says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, the stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. Now, if you were building, uh, when the psalmist was writing this, if you were building a house, what you would do is you would take uh, stones and you'd lay the foundation, but you'd take one, you'd find the best stone you could and you'd place it in the corner. And that created the, the structure and the strength. It aligned the other rows. And so the strength of the building, the strength of the foundation was tied to that 
cornerstone. If you were a builder, you scoured the pile for the best of the best to give your structure the most strength and support possible. What the psalmist is telling us here is what we already know is that Jesus is going to be rejected. Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, the one who solidifies the foundation, will be rejected as not good enough. The Jews of his day didn't think Jesus was good enough to be their Messiah. Maybe he wasn't educated enough or he wasn't from the right family, didn't have enough status. You guys, our world doesn't think Jesus is good enough either. The Son of God came to earth. He walked the earth. He gave himself to die for our sins and our world uses his name as a swear word. People who claim too readily the name of Christ are called crazy or fanatics. Listen, you can be a Christian, just don't be too crazy about that Jesus guy. But the peace that holds it all together, the stone that solidifies the foundation of our faith, our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, how has this unexpected cornerstone been established? Oh, I love this. The power has come from God. Look at Psalm 118, verse 23. This is, this came from the Lord. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. You see, the thrust of this verse is that the power is from God and God alone. There is no part of this that is man-made. Jesus wasn't selected because his friends voted him in. Jesus didn't draw the short straw. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He is the cornerstone because God did it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it is wondrous in our sight. Now, how do we respond to God's redemption? We should rejoice and be glad despite our circumstances because God has ordained this day in his redemptive plan. Hear what it says in verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. This is the day the Lord has made. There's this stone that has been rejected. The power that comes only from God. This is the day. The day the builders rejected the stone. The day that needed God's power and God's power only. This day. Even this day with its deep, dark struggles and clouds. The Lord has made this day, and we trust it fits in his redemptive history. We trust the one who made and rules this day. I think what God is calling us to is a redemptive paradigm, to see all of life, 
life through the, the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is revealing how everything should be, should be viewed. We should see it through the understanding of the sacrifice of Christ. How do we praise God when I'm overwhelmed and I feel swarmed by life? We should give thanks to the Lord even in our darkest seasons. You know, before Jesus was arrested and tortured and killed, you gotta remember, Jesus was beaten. It tells us that they didn't even recognize him as human form. He was beaten by soldiers who were trained to torture men. He was beaten by men who probably enjoyed the process. Jesus knew that was coming. And as he and his disciples were celebrating the Passover right before he is arrested, and again, the Passover is a Jewish celebration, celebrating the supernatural work of God to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. As they were celebrating the Passover, remember the the tradition was to weave these Psalms 113 through 118 through that celebration that day, and they would sing them throughout the Passover celebration. And as they neared the end of the celebration, Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. Where he where he tries to tell his disciples about his impending death. And he says this in Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it, uh, gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, you see what he's just said? I'm about to die for you. And then verse 30 says, After singing a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. After telling his disciples that he's going to die, Jesus goes out and he sings a song. And the final hymn they would have sung for the Passover meal would have been Psalm 118. As Jesus is about to be arrested, tortured beyond all recognition, then hung on a cross to die, Jesus sang about the cornerstone that would be rejected, knowing that was him. He sang about God's will being advanced. It was only the power of God. And he sang in praise, in celebration about that day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus sang in praise and celebration about the day that he would be arrested. The day that he would be beaten. The day that he would die with the sins of the world on his shoulders. Because Jesus understood the redemptive plan. Jesus understood that through his death and resurrection, we would be invited to be made right with God. We would be invited to accept his offer of forgiveness and grace. We would be offered redemption to God himself. 
Now listen, we began by asking, how do we praise God when we're overwhelmed and feel swarmed by life? And what we've seen is that because God is good and his love endures forever, we should give thanks to the Lord even in our darkest seasons. Imagine if we as children of God began to overflow with thanks, not because of our circumstances, but because of who our God is. And we can trust that he is moving and working because God's love is trustworthy and forever. Imagine if we as children of God trusted the power of God regardless of the frequency or the severity of the trial. Imagine if we are, as children of God, saw the world through the lens of Jesus fulfilling the great redemptive plan of God. Imagine if we embraced God's goodness and love enough to give thanks to the Lord even in our darkest season because Jesus ensures our eternities. How would our lives change? How would our friendships change? How would our communities and and our church and our world around us if if God's love and goodness changed us like that? Let's end. Would you guys stand with me? Um, Would you put up? Oh, there. Let's end. Would you stand and let's read the concluding verses of the psalm together and then I'll pray and the worship team will conclude our time with a song. Read, read Psalm 118, the, the conclusion of this great psalm with me where it says, You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Amen. Let me pray. You may remain standing and the worship team will come up and conclude our time. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your faithful love endures forever. Though we may not see you working, your hesed, your hesed is forever. Pray, Lord, that you would Just continue to grab our hearts. Remind us of the great love you have, the comfort we find in Jesus Christ. Pray you draw us ever closer to you as we understand more and more more the character of God and the love you show us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.